Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Hey there, healthcare humans. So I'm recording this right before the end of the year 2023. You're listening to this in December 2023 and what a year it has been. Hey, um, I know there's been a lot going on. The system isn't working its best. You might be a little tired. You might be a bit overwhelmed. So I wanted to offer everyone listening a gift, something that might help for 2024 to feel a little bit more spacious, a little bit more under your control, a little bit more in alignment with your body and your body's capacity, you know, all the ideas that I talk about on this podcast, I have earlier this year created a course that gives you the five most important principles that I follow when I think of time planning and scheduling and time management and all those ideas in a human body centered way. The course is called Restoring Your Time, and for the entire month of December, I am offering it for 50% off. Um, So if you go to the show notes of this episode and use the promo code DEC23, so December 2023, basically, DEC23, you can get 50% off. The code is good until December 31st. So if you want to offer yourself or a friend a holiday present for this year, why not offer the gift of time. Is that too cheesy? I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would love for more humans in healthcare to understand the principles of how time really works and how we think about our work and time and what in human stories are embedded within them. And I would just love to share what I have learned and applied to my life with all of you. So check out those show notes, get the 50% off if you buy it before the end of December 2023 and start 2024 a little bit more spacious, a little bit more you centered. All right, now on to the episode. Hello there, healthcare humans. Thank you so much for coming back for another episode of The Other Human in the Room. So today we have what might be a bit of a heavier topic, but I know it is already weighing on the minds of most of you, if not all of you. And it's about how to handle it when we cause our patients harm. Um, Because this is a time where our socialized brains can be very unkind to us and it's time to address it directly. In fact, even the vast majority of the time when we haven't caused any specific amount of harm necessarily to patients, our brains are very like preoccupied with it. Um, Often when we are trying to figure out what to do with patients, one of the main things we're solving for is to um, try and remove any chance or risk of harm. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing necessarily on its own, but there's an underlying belief there that, um, our goodness is dependent on us really doing no harm. That is very tricky. And that is the main thing I'm going to talk to you about today. Um, so I wanted to give a recent example. Um, 
in the past while I performed a procedure um, on a patient and it had a known but not super common and certainly undesired outcome for the patient. It's one that hasn't happened to me before. In fact, I used to say like, it doesn't happen to me because I'm careful enough, I'm cautious enough, and I am now humbled because I was as equally as careful and cautious as I always am. And yet this was the result, right? So um, what does my brain do with this information? I recognize that I that this outcome has happened to this patient. My brain invite immediately invites me down in an anxiety and shame spiral. So the sorts of things my brain is saying, I'm a fraud. I should never do this procedure again. I'm a liar. This patient hates me. I'm a bad person. I'm a bad doctor. I shouldn't practice medicine. I shouldn't teach other people anything. I'm an imposter, blah, 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 honestly, et cetera, right? So one thing to notice, and one thing I notice, especially as I'm in the practice of noticing what my default stories are. Often if they come with, well, if they come with shame, I know there's some inhuman story elements in there. There's some lies that I've been conditioned to believe about myself that cannot be true. Um, and in this case, when I was observing my default conditioning, just notice that if it's true for you, when facing a harm I had already caused, the default conditioning was to perpetuate more harm, but in this time to myself, Right. And when I think about where I learned that, it's pretty clear. I think we've often been taught that that's how we learn. So um, if we make mistakes or even intentionally like harm others, the way we learn is to be harmed ourselves, to be punished, to be given painful consequences for whatever actions caused uh, the harm to other, because the notion is that this will deter us from doing these actions again. And, you know, like I can see places where, you know, like operant conditioning is a thing, you know, so like you really don't want someone to touch a fence. You put electric wiring in it. People won't touch that fence. Thank you very much. Right. So there's ways in which pain, painful consequence can teach us to do, to be averse to doing something. I'm not saying that that's not true. The thing that makes it very tricky for most of, if not all of the examples that would happen to us within the confines of like our work in healthcare, and honestly, most of the actions that we are taking in the world is um, we still need to do that action. And um, so in this case, like if I still wish to continue to do this procedure, the fact that I've given myself this negative consequence, is that actually going to help me say, finesse my skills is that actually going to reduce the risk of it happening again if I beat the crap out of myself just like let's check and so you know following the math are all, right, all the way through this isn't the first time I've had an undesired outcome or even or even made like an actual mistake and notice I always differentiate those two as being two separate though overlapping things so when I spend my time and energy punishing myself for this past arm this past harm, excuse me, I'm not actually spending time and energy learning because shame is a very poor teacher, right? So when I'm like, you're terrible, you're a piece of garbage, you should be ashamed of yourself, you should run and hide, you're, I'm picturing other people saying this to me, which is just still me playing. When I'm picturing other people saying this to me, I am still self-harming because there's no one else in the room. It's just me and my imagination, right? So 
this shame of like, you should run in high picturing other people being like, wow, I thought you were a good doctor. Wow. I thought you were blah, blah, blah. Right. That shame is telling me to run away and hide that shame is then when I think about say, talking to this patient about this undesired outcome, and I'm operating out of this place, I am like either potentially like, is there any way I can avoid talking to patients? If you've ever had either personal experiences or seen colleagues where they kind of would, they just sort of put off, procrastinate, avoid talking to people, to the person about the negative outcome that happened, right? Often shame is under the hood there. Or like, okay, no, I do have to talk to the patient, but I, I try and do it in a way where I'm rushing through it. I'm just trying to get out of it without feeling any more shame and guilt. I'm trying to get through it while terrified the patient's going to sue me, right? So it's all about me and harming myself and, and feeling the pain of myself. So one thing that that means, so if I'm, if I think that this is the way I'm going to learn so that I don't do it in the future, in the meantime, I'm, I am not giving myself any space to actually have available to hold for this patient and their questions about what's happened to them, right? So even if it has some long-term benefit of helping me learn how to do this procedure better, which I will talk in a minute, seems suspicious, in the short term, it makes me a worse doctor because now I'm mired in a shame spiral, which means I don't actually have space to attend to the patient after the fact. I am also unfortunately, not on purpose. This is what I've been learned. This is what I've learned I'm supposed to do, but I'm not only harming myself more, but I am not offering space and support and comfort to this patient because now they're a reminder of this terrible thing I did, right? Maybe even potentially if I'm having a very short day, I'm, I'm short with them. I'm condescending to them. I may be perpetuating more harm to this patient, right? Which I'm not, I am not saying in a blaming way at all. I'm in, in an observation way. Notice how this idea, no, I have to beat myself up. It's what I deserve. It's what will help me learn for the future. Notice the fallout. Notice the side effects of this particular treatment plan, right? Um, just to say it's, it's worth exploring if there's other options. I'm really kind of laying it in a little heavy about how, all of the fallout that happens when we think we have to punish ourselves in order to right the wrong of causing harm to other people and how that often instead leads to not only more harm to ourselves, but even to other people's, right? And then, and moving forward with that. So speaking of the procedure itself, if I just had this horrible experience where I like tripled the horribleness of the experience by beating myself up and thinking I'm a bad doctor, what are the odds I'm going to be super excited and open and curious and thoughtful the next time I do this procedure? Will I consider never doing this procedure again? I mean, I already said, like, I literally consider never do this, doing this procedure, right? So in what way is that helping me learn how to do this procedure better? If literally now my brain is protecting me from wanting to even do the procedure again, which doing the procedure again is the only way I could continue to learn how to finesse my skills with it, right? So it's, this same default mechanism of punishing myself in order to learn stops me from giving myself the opportunity to actually learn, right? And if I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to do it again. I'm going to be more anxious and nervous during the procedure, right? I'm going to be having all these other thoughts. And if I'm in that like distracted brain, what are the odds I'm going to be more or less likely to make 
a, a different mistake and a mistake I wouldn't typically make. But now because I'm in this activated, dysregulated state, I'm actually more likely to make mistakes that could cause harm. So just to say, if was that laying it on too thick? I don't know. I like to really illustrate punishing ourselves, perpetuating more harm is never the answer after a harm has happened to someone. It's just the math is wrong. The, I know it's what we've been in, in handed by society and our elders. And um, I'm sure there are very specific cases where it's a good idea because you really don't want someone to do that again, that I guess maybe a painful consequence is a good idea. But let's just say it's in the vast, vast, vast minority. And in our cases where we're adults who are learning and, and working through the world, it, I can't think of an example. Honestly, even and honestly, especially for kids too, I can't think of an example. But if you want to come to me with an example, I am open to hearing about it. All right. I just think that especially in these cases where we want to continue to work in this way, we want to continue to practice medicine, work in healthcare. If we think that punishing ourselves is the way that we can get better and more effective in our work in healthcare, the math isn't mathing. Okay. Hopefully that's clear enough. So what does actually help me learn then, right? Because I say all that as if we're doing it consciously. I know we're not. I know it's your default thing. There's just this nasty voice in your brain that is doing this for you. So how do we actually address this? How do we actually deal with this nasty voice that thinks they need to punish us so that we can actually learn, so that we could learn and if possible, reduce the chance of harm in the future, or at least even look as was it possible there was something I could have done different that could have reduced the chance of this happening? We can't even look at that if we're mired in self-blame and shame, right? So what does actually helping us learn? The first and most important step, a couple important steps, but one of them is accepting that not only do they, I have the capacity to harm others, that harming others is inevitable, so just like accepting the reality that this isn't something we can run away from. So we ought to have a strategy of how to deal with it. Like before we can get to the strategy to deal with the fact that we absolutely just cause harm to others all day long, potentially, we have to first accept that we can and do cause harm to other people, right? Mistakes are inevitable. Undesired outcomes are inevitable. Most things that we do have rare, unusual risks associated that could lead to harm. And that's like not only in my work life, but just in life in general, right? Not every time, of course. And like not on purpose are we like, yay, we're causing harm on purpose. But like harm is a part of the human experience. Harming other humans is part of the human experience, right? So it's kind of interesting thinking back on that internal dialogue that was yelling at me, like that I'm a bad doctor, that I'm a fraud because I've I've caused harm to another person. I've had this un undesired outcome. In a way that part of me is correct in the sense that if the standard of goodness, of belonging, of competency, of permission to practice medicine is that I never have an undesired outcome. I never make a mistake. Um, harm never comes to a patient through my participation in their care. That's true in the sense that it's, that's impossible. So by that impossible standard, we are all frauds. We are all bad doctors, bad clinicians. Like if the standard of goodness is 
never participating in care that leads to harm for a patient. None of us are good doctors. If, if, if a good doctor never does any harm, there are no good doctors, period. If you're a living, breathing human on the planet, you have and will continue to cause harm to those around you. How are you doing? I I said this one was heavy, (laughs) but I think it's important to really recognize it. There's this sort of way we try and shield ourselves from it. But the thing is, as I've just described, as we try to shield ourselves from it, that actually makes it at higher risk, we're going to do more harm, right? So like we have to grapple with the fact that this is our reality. All living beings cause harm. Predators harm their prey. Prey harm their predators. We are a part of the natural world and the natural world causes harm to one another, maims one another, causes injury, illness, pain to one another. That is a part of the human experience. It's, I'm not saying that we're like hoping to do that every minute of the day, or that's our primary directive. I would suggest having a different primary directive, to be honest, that not really endorsing your primary directive to be to, to hurt other people. And understanding that whatever your primary directive is, even if it is like reducing suffering, uh, your say that's your primary directive. Like in the world, I want to reduce suffering to myself and others. I think that's a beautiful one. Part of really doing that work is acknowledging. And as I work to reduce suffering in myself and others, I will perpetuate some amount of harm and suffering because it's the human experience. We, we cannot we cannot think through every consequence for our actions. We are actually not in full control of how our actions impact other people in the world, right? And so if we think that the only standard that we need to strive for is do no harm ever, we are setting ourselves up for that shame spiral that then ends up leading to more harm. It's this like really tragic irony, right? And the reasons that we do it are either because it's just totally outside of our perception of what could happen. I don't know if any of you have watched The Good Place. It's an amazing show. And I guess this is like kind of a spoiler. So skip ahead maybe 30 seconds if you really want to watch The Good Place and you haven't yet and you don't want a spoiler. But one of the things they discover through that show, it's like a show about the afterlife, is like that basically no one's been getting into heaven for hundreds of years because the standards of goodness are too complex. Like someone, an example is like someone buys flowers for their mom. That used to be something that would give them like good points that would be added up towards going to heaven. But now it's negative points net because even though it's nice, they gave flowers to their mom, those flowers were farmed in some distant land. And then the carbon footprint to get them there and the, all the things like all the unseen consequences are so huge that like, we just, we cannot, we cannot not cause harm. And even sometimes we do cause intentional harm. Like when we are really, really under-resourced, we say nasty things to each other. When we are really, really feeling under threat, we could become, you know, maybe even violent to, you know, like we are human beings. These things can happen when we feel like our base needs are being threatened. We you know, we enact those. Even, I mean, you know, depending on your ethic, like I eat meat. That means I participate in the harm of animals, right? There's a Doctor Who quote that I love, which is like, hunger looks very much like evil from the wrong end of the cutlery, right? So just like sometimes in our desire to consume, I mean, it it just does cause harm. So 
Bottom line, do no harm is a perfectionist fantasy that no one can achieve. It's a beautiful sentiment to be working towards do no harm. Like I, I'm, I'm really not saying that we then flip the script and say, do a bunch of harm. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that, especially for those of us who are socialized to think we have to have only impossible standards to reach for. And, but then what that leads to is actually harming ourselves more. Something has gone wrong. So I want to offer you an alternative, right? Which already exists in healthcare all over the place. Like what if out instead of do no harm, we focus on harm reduction, right? Like we know this and it's such a, these are like within our healthcare system, we have beautiful models about how we could be really enacting this in our lives. So in harm reduction in addictions medicine, for example, you know, it's not abstinence or bust, which is this perfectionist fantasy for a lot of people who use substances, right? Instead it's saying, how do we reduce harm here? How do we make the drugs safer, safe supply? How, how do we do it in a way? How do we support the whole person who also happens to be addicted to substances and support them in so many ways that then reducing the amount of drugs they're using becomes an option. Like how do we reduce harm to totally for a person, right? Do no harm is too black and white and unrealistic and leads to this whole harm causing shame spiral. For me, it feels so much more accessible and safe in my body to focus on harm reduction. It's a realistic posture and part of harm reduction is accepting radical acceptance that each of us absolutely causes harm. Same with, you know, in the addiction space, when you are prescribed, you know, I, I, you know, prescribe Zaboxone for a couple of patients. I, I really admire and support the work of those that are like prescribing like safe supplies of, of drugs that people are using. I think there's something really beautiful and wise that we can all take note of. Those that are do that aren't saying, I know that this drug is really great for this person and really helps better their lives, but it's saying this is safer. This person this keeps this person alive. This gives this gives this person more chances and more support to continue to walk down the roads for them to maybe someday not use substances maybe but in the meantime the rest of them as a human being gets to live and thrive and that's worthwhile reducing the harm is worthwhile it reduces suffering overall right so how can we be shifting into a harm reduction mindset and this is like the like, I mean the second biggest thing I wonder if you can guess so first of all we accept that do no harm is an impossible standard which means we are accepting that we are unintentionally harming every, the planet and everyone around us in ways we will never understand potentially just that it's 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 happening around us period and even that we certainly have the capacity and will at times enact on the capacity to intentionally harm people when we are feeling under resourced so like acknowledging those about tr as truths of us as humans is step one and then step two is okay so if that's true how am i going to treat myself when that inevitably happens. So the harm reduction mindset starts with you. I bet you guessed that's what I was going to say because that's kind of my deal all around, right? It first starts with our internal relationship with ourselves and 
and practicing harm reduction in our internal relationship with ourselves. So I want to, I want to give you just one example. It's sort of my description of how it went with me. So, you know, I, I, in that original situation where the undesired outcome and the harm happened to the patient, right? So I wrote out all of those thoughts. Like I wrote them out. I didn't try and shove them down. All the thoughts of you're a fraud, you're terrible. I like, I let them have their day. I, I, I wrote them out. So they were out of my body though. Um, I find it's very helpful to like physically write them out. I like handwriting often helps me the most, you know, um, getting them out and understanding those thoughts came from my brain, but they're not of me. Those beliefs are optional. And there's something about physically creating space from them and just sort of allowing them to speak though, that really helps. It then stops them from staying inside my body as default beliefs because I've put them out and said, look, those are thoughts I just had. Those are beliefs that I have been conditioned to believe. Do I want to keep these? And like giving myself some space and time to really digest that and look at that and think about things like, oh, it is true. I'm a fraud. Maybe I'm just going to own that. Be like, yeah, I'm a fraud. I'm a fraud to the do no harm standard. That's impossible. I will always fail. Do no harm. I will always fail. Do no harm. And just like, and just sort of like walking that part of myself through it. Underneath all those stories, I had a bunch of emotions. And so part of this work you must know by now that will, I will always say is really creating space and, and befriending all of our emotions inside of us. The grief of like, dang, I didn't want to hurt that person. I didn't want that to happen. I wish that hadn't happened. And like holding space for that, the anxiety of, I know now you're scared. Something bad's going to happen. That makes sense. Tell me, tell me. And like soothing myself the guilt of like, oh, I'm a person in the world that causes harm to other people. That's what guilt tells us. And that's heavy and that's hard. And sitting with those things and loving those parts of myself instead of perpetuating self-love, self-compassion saying, I hear you. It is so hard, isn't it? Don't you wish that as humans, we could just never hurt each other. That would be so much nicer, wouldn't it? But like, this is the deal, you know? So just like holding myself through that, you know, a lot of like self-soothing talk, like, oh, of course you feel this way. Like think of all of the models you've been given of, you know, sins must be punished and all this stuff. Like, of course you feel this way. And by the way, you didn't want this to happen, right? Like that makes so much sense. You wish it hadn't happened. Like those things that often help me with kind of grief ideas is like, you didn't want that to happen. Hey, I'm with you. I believe you. Your emotions are valid. And self-soothing, like what would feel good right now? Instead of being like, I don't deserve to feel good because I'm a terrible person being like, no, the way I kind of help tend to these parts of myself and not perpetuate additional harm to myself and others is actually by like sort of soothing and repairing and, and healing these this wound that's come up now because, oh no, I'm a person that's hurt another person, right? So do you want to go for a walk outside? Do you want some tea? Do you want to cry? And just like just like asking my body, like, what do I need here? What does my nervous system need to feel calm? talking with my body. I like, I like to talk to my body as you know, from past um, workshops and podcasts and like, you know, what do you think of me and the fact that I did this? And like, she got it. She knows it's possible. Our bodies are aware, like our bodies know how to even on purpose enact violence against each other. I'm not suggesting we use that capacity unless very, very necessary, but like our bodies know our power. Our bodies know that we are mortal and 
squishy and can be harmed and can harm. Like this isn't new information for our bodies. And she she knew that and just offered me love in return. That's what happened. Like when I just sort of checked in with my body, it's like, yeah, it's hard, right? Because like we're so wired to love each other and also we can accidentally hurt each other. That's hard. That's like what I got from my body. And that was really resourced. And then at the end of all that, like what I felt more comforted, more resourced, more regulated, like my nervous system felt more regulated and I was on my own side and I wasn't beating the crap out of myself. So when I'd minimize and repaired the harm of that original socialized reaction for myself, just to say it explicitly what I was doing, then I looked at my actions in that situation, the context of the whole situation, and with curiosity and compassion, asked myself, what were some of the factors that may have led to this outcome? Like, what do I want to learn from this? Do I think, would I like some additional training or mentorship or explore different protocols, you know, how could I reduce the chance of this harm happening to another patient in the future? But I asked those questions with no urgency because you can sort of be like, oh my gosh, I need a million more training. I need to ask a million people. I need to da, 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 da. And you notice you're doing it from this need place, this urgency place. Usually that's because underneath we're desperate to recover our sense of goodness and run away from our guilt and our shame. But I'm telling you, you can actually learn way more if you first recover your goodness on your own for yourself with yourself and then you can actually learn do would it be helpful to to upskill here would it be helpful to look at alternatives is there is there anything i can do it's it's more effective learning which means in the end you reduce your risk of harming someone not to zero but you could right and so starts with you, which then leads then almost naturally, honestly, to then how could I reduce the harm for others from a place where you're not trying to recover and stop the bully in your head from harming yourself by desperately trying to never harm others. That doesn't work. Okay. So to sum up, we all cause harm. Harm is inevitable. And that's the first step is just acceptance, right? Go through the stages of grief if you need to and get to the acceptance of that being just like a fact. Do no harm is a perfectionist fantasy, period. So harm reduction, in my opinion, is a an approach to how we live in the world generally and certainly, you know, do our work in healthcare with other humans who we want we want to thrive. We don't wish harm on at all. So we want to minimize our harm. How do we do that? By having a harm reduction mindset versus a do no harm perfectionist mindset. So I wanted to leave you with just some questions for you to like contemplate for yourself, whether you kind of listen and pause and journal or process with a friend or like whatever works for you. So like when you think you have harmed someone else, what do you notice are your default reactions? Right. And do you, are there any ways that your default reactions end up perpetuating more harm to yourself and also to others? Is it similar to mine or is it something different? Just checking to see, getting curious with yourself about that. How have you learned that harming others means you need to harm yourself as punishment or what you deserve? And maybe your punishments look different. Like um, a lot of us, it's not necessarily like 
physically harming ourselves though that may be a piece of your story which I want to name with tenderness and and love for you if that's part of your story right um also things like just depriving ourselves of pleasure of rest like overworking basically that is a form of self-punishment for a lot of us it's like the only way I can feel like I might deserve to be an okay human is if I never actually enjoy being a human on this planet because of all the harm I have or could potentially cause right do you have a mean critical or abusive self-talk happening in your head you know what kind of things come up when you you consider that right what comes up and then the third question is what comes up for you when you consider that reducing harm to yourself is how you reduce harm to others who objects in your mind and body when that's true i want to repeat that one again what comes up for you when you consider that reducing harm to yourself is how you reduce harm to others it means it's not selfish to center yourself it means this is how you could reduce collective suffering in the world is by starting with yourself, right? The last question is, how can you hold space for yourself to really understand the deep truth that harming others is an inevitable consequence of being alive on this planet? Like what, what do you need to help process that? Does it feel like, oh yeah, that's true. What a relief to find we hear someone say it out loud. Or is it like, no, 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 no. That might be true for other people, but I'm definitely still on the treadmill of thinking it's not true for me I honor your treadmill I honor that too some days I'm there too so I'm not I'm honoring all of the reactions to all of this content um yeah if you want you can reach out by email or on Instagram and, and share any of your reflections I would love to hear them um yeah and the main thing I want you to know is a piece of this project then is when you're listening to me share my thoughts of how to be more human in healthcare, I am doing my best to take a harm reduction mindset. So I, I am trying to think in ways that are trauma-informed. And I, I do think of how to speak of these in a ways that will allow you to hear them clearer. And so if there's ever a time where, I know actually a few times folks have reached out and said, that didn't hit me the right way. I welcome that. And I'm so grateful for that. And especially if it did feel hurtful or harmful, I, I am always open for an opportunity to offer repair. Um, if, if that's something you want from me, you know, so just even to know that that's a, a feature of me and what you get when you're listening to me. Okay. All right. So with that, um, may your week include a little less harm to yourself. The, the only relationship you have full control over is that one. And what if that relationship became kinder? What if it's not about deserve or not deserve, but just knowing that it's how you could reduce harm collectively is by starting internally. Maybe if that's the permission you need to start being tender with yourself, start saying no, start prioritizing what feels right and good and pleasurable and according to your values for you, that's all harm reduction work for yourself, right? So permission granted, um, if that's what you need to start doing some of this work in recentering your own humanity. All right. Thanks for hanging with me in a heavier episode. And um, I'm wishing you all just a wonderful week. Take care.
I would love to take this work deeper with you. Visit joanchanmd.com today and discover my growing menu of options for restorative medical education to suit your learning needs. I offer one-on-one coaching, customized workshops, and self-study courses that allow you to connect not only with my work on a deeper level, but also with other healthcare humans just like you. So if you want to start humanizing your work in healthcare to a deeper level and do it in community with others, please visit joanchanmd.com and find those options and what fits you and your life today.